Good morning. I trust you had a good week. If you walked with Jesus last week, you had a good week. Amen. Um, no comment. I just want to jump right into, the, into our lesson for today. We're in 2 Kings, the second chapter. That's our key passage that we're going to be using for this series. Um, for those who are overachievers or those who just like to know where you're going before you get there, we'll also be visiting Genesis 12 and Joshua 5. So you can keep that off to the side and, and you'll know when we get there. We're talking about... Um, the development of, a, of a, a life that's devoted to following Jesus, which hopefully is all of us. We're, we're all on that path and that journey. And in 2 Kings, we're, we're walking with two great men of God, Elijah and Elisha. And they're each pursuing what will be in their lives, in their journey with, with the Lord, a next level. Um, very different from one another, but nonetheless, for each of them, they're taking a, a big step of, of advancement, of growth, of expansion um, in their understanding and, and um, relationship with, with God. I, I can't take time to review, but we're, in their journey, they're stopping at different locations, different, different cities that they're visiting. Um, and each one has a lesson for us. So we, we launched the series last week. It's, it's online if you want to go back and, and review it or if you weren't able to, to, to be here or haven't heard it yet, I encourage you to do that. But we made the, our first stop was at Gilgal, a, a city called Gilgal. It was the place they landed upon crossing the Jordan River. They finally came into the promised land and, and they set up camp and they established themselves at Gilgal. And, and just to catch everybody up, um, Gilgal represents like a beginning place. And if you remember in the text or you can look in, in the, the first verse, it says that the, they were walking from Gilgal, okay? Because Gilgal is just a starting point. Gilgal is a beginning place. Gilgal, Gilgal represents where you are in your journey with the Lord today. Okay? It's not, when I say beginning, uh, uh, I'm not talking about just at the moment of salvation. I'm talking about where you are right now. Every day is a new beginning. Right? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So when you woke up this morning, you had a new beginning. You, you had a new opportunity, a, a fresh chance to, to walk with the Lord and, and enjoy all that he has for you today. So, so Gilgal is that place. And Gilgal is a good place to always be from. See, we should always be moving from. And, and the, the key point of, of last week's message was you, you can't stay where you start. It's just a good little thing to remember. You can't stay where you start. All right, so I hope, I hope every one of us have some kind of idea or some kind of hope and, some, and every given effort that somehow today, we started the day whenever you started your day, that we're going to end your day better. You're going to learn something. You're going to spend fresh time, new time with the Lord. You, you don't want to, we never want to stay where we start, not with Jesus. We want to always keep moving, okay? So that's, that's, where we, that's where we were. We said a lot more than that, but let's move forward. We're in 2 Kings, 2 chapter, um, verses 3 to 6 will be our, our launching pad for today. It says, And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha, 
and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he, Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I'll not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophet who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elisha said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. All right. There's two repetitive things that I'm sure you picked on that happened in this um, passage that I'm going to mention, but I'm not going to teach on because I don't have time. But, but I can't just ignore them, all right? There's, there's this group of, of people who came to them at, at both of these locations called the Sons of the Prophet, of the, of the Prophets, or in other passages of Scripture, it calls them the, the School of the Prophets. These are like the seminarians of the day. Okay, these are, these are guys who are really serious about, about the Bible, about the Word of God, and, and they, they study it. And, and the, these schools are, are credited, Samuel, the prophet Samuel is credited as starting these schools. Um, and, and then uh, Elisha then has been the leader, their leader for the last period of time, and Elisha is, will become, as, as if you keep following in the text, Elisha will become the ones that they look to as the head of, of their school, the leader of their school. And, and they're significant. In, in that day, we know scripturally that there was a school of the prophet in Gilgal. There was one in Bethel. There was one in, in Jericho. And there was one in Ephraim um, as well. And maybe other places, but we, we're, we're sure of those locations that they had these schools of, of young, young men who were studying the word of God, and they were also um, doing their best to, to be before God, to, to get an understanding and a direction from him of what God, through his word, is saying and doing in that day and in that time. And, and we see that with them coming at each location, coming to Elijah and, and Elisha. Um, if I had to draw an application or if we were going to teach on that, I'd talk about community. I'd talk about the, the community of faith, because that's sort of what they were. We, we could easily use them to represent us, the, the church, those who are followers of Christ, those who are, who are, whose lives are devoted to, to the word of God and learning it. And, and um, we, we, we could unpack, and maybe we'll do this some other time, and just talk about community, the, the depths and the level of, of what that looks like and, and what that means. Um, and then, then we could also look at Elijah's response, because you can read the, his response a lot of different ways. When he said, yeah, I know it, keep quiet. Oh, I can't go there. I just, I just can't do it. All right, so that's, that's just, that's, no, it's not there. Okay, there's also a repetition in the, in the, the dialogue between Elijah and Elisha. All right, where, where um, Elijah, at each location, including Gilgal last week, Elijah encourages Elisha, his protege, to stay. Just stay here. He, like, gives him permission. He's like, it's Okay. You know, why don't you just stay here? The Lord, I know the Lord is leading me somewhere else, but, um, and his response, you know, hey, as, as, as long as the, you know, the Lord's alive, as long as you're alive, I'm coming with you. Um, and, and again, some great stuff, and I just encourage you, on your own, just, just go and, and study that out a little bit, but I, I just can't, 
I can't do it today. All right, so we're, we're moving on. We're, we're going to get in Bethel. We're going to arrive at Bethel. And this, the message today is probably the practical part of our series. This is the practical teaching in our series. And, and I'm going to give you seven precepts um, that, that I pulled out of the scripture. Some of them may, you'll hear and say, that's nice, it won't apply. But I'm pretty sure that out of the seven, there's going to be a couple that speak into where you are now. They're going to t- touch on your journey today. The Holy Spirit, I believe, will be faithful to, to when we get to those points, you'll feel a little, little nudge. You'll feel a little extra identity with those. I- I'd encourage you, jot those down. If those are the ones that sort of speak to you, jot them down. And then your assignment during the week, I'll give you your assignment before the end of service, is to study those out, to really spend some time with the Lord on, on those precepts. Precepts are important in life. Um, they really are. They're, they're more than just ideas or thoughts. Precepts are, are things that are always true. Okay? Principles, precepts, that we can build, we can build on them because they're, they're foundation kinds of stones. All right? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to, to open your word. Lord, let us never um, take that for granted that we get to spend time in, in the, the truth of the eternal light and word of God. And we pray, Holy Spirit, now that you, you're the one who inspired this word for men to write it. Now I pray you inspire us to, to preach it and for us to hear it. Ha, have your way in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Okay, we're in Bethel. Bethel is about 11 miles north of Jerusalem, so, so that gives you some kind of visual thought of, of, uh, of geography. Um, it's on a major trade route um, from Jericho to the Mediterranean Sea. You'll, you'll find, you'll go, you'll go through the city of Bethel. It's, it's the only, other than Jerusalem, Bethel is mentioned in Scripture more times than any other city. Second only to, to Jerusalem. It was a very important city um, in, in biblical history. Okay? In, in biblical interpretation, it, there, there's a, and you've heard this before, I know you have because I've said it to you before. There's a thing called the, the law of first mention. And it's, it's widely accepted as a good tool. A, a, a fairly reliable tool in biblical ter- interpretation. And it basically says that find the first time something is mentioned in Scripture, and, and usually you can, you can take um, that initial definition or use of the word, and the rest of Scripture it should always reflect back to that. It may build on it, it may expand it, it may give more clarity, but it shouldn't disagree with it. It shouldn't violate that initial foundation of, of, of understanding. And, and so we're, we're going to use, use that principle a little bit, and we're going to look at Bethel because it's first mentioned um, in Genesis 12. Remember I said we're going to go there. It's first mentioned in, in Genesis 12, and it's the call of Abraham. It's a well-known passage. If you can't think of it just when you hear it, you'll, you'll know it. Um, Genesis 12, verse, verses 8 and 9 says, From there he, Abram, moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, A on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Okay, precept number one. Let's just jump into it. Next level living is rooted in divine call. Next level living, if we're, we're going to keep pressing on, we're, we're pressing because God's calling us. Okay? has called us and continues to call us. Um, 
Abram, historically, was from a family of idol worshipers. Um, Jewish tradition says that Terah, who is Abram's father, um, was an idol maker. It was the family business that Abram perhaps would have been a part of. Um, He had no history in the God of the Bible that we're aware of. He was just a guy. And he was just an idol worshiper. And he was just living his life. And God calls him. In, in Genesis 12, the, verse, the first verse, the God said to Abraham, go from your country, go from your kingdom, go from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. He speaks to him. He calls him. Now, it doesn't, I wish, there's certain passages of scripture I wish the Lord would have hung out there a little more and given us a little more information. Because it doesn't tell us how he did that. You know, the call of God is so important. It would have been nice if he said, and here's what it was, and here's how it works, and here's how it is, so you'll know when it happens to you. He, he doesn't do that, but here's what we do know, and something that's a, just a phenomenal reality. We have a speaking God. We have a God who speaks. One of the, one of the great accusations that God always makes in Scripture about other gods, small g, is they can't talk. They can't think. They can't act. They can't reason. There's an old Jewish um, legend or fable about Abram that one day he was tending his father's idol shop um, and someone came in and wanted to buy this one particular item and Abram asked him, said, how old are you, sir? And the guy said, I'm 50 years old. He said, you're 50 years old and you want to buy, take home and worship an idol that's one day old. True, not true, just kind of cute. We have a God who's alive. And part of what he does, he speaks to those who worship him. He speaks to those who follow him. He participates actively in the lives of those who belong to him. And he participates because he has a plan. He has things he wants us to know. There's things he wants to tell us. There's callings that he has to reveal to us. Now this passage doesn't tell us how that call came about. It says the Lord said to Abram, great. What was it? Was it audible? Was it just an impression that he had? Did he have a a day vision kind of thing or a nighttime dream? It, It doesn't give us the specifics. We only know that God has this way of uniquely speaking to his people in a way they'll know it's him. In, in, has, that, has God ever said anything to you? How, how'd you know it? And if we took time to just go around and compare notes, it's different. God has a voice that is, will be unique to you. And I, and I promise, as you follow in the Lord, that voice will get clearer, and, and that voice will become more and more consistent in your life, if you have ears to hear. If you really want to hear the voice of God, he speaks and he, and he loves it. He's always speaking in one way or another, always primarily and first and foremost in his, in his word and through his word. But then he also individually nudges us and, and calls us to himself. He, and, and his voice comes, the, the best way I could think to, to put it in a phrase is he doesn't just speak to us. He speaks into us. Can, can you digest that a little bit. He, he speaks into us. How do you know that? I just know. I just know. Because I've had other experiences where, where I've, and I've come to learn 
that when, when a voice comes to me that way, I just know. Because God speaks not only to us, but he speaks into us. He touches a resource we hear from a different place. Not necessarily with our physical hearing. We hear with our, with our hearts, we hear with our spirits, we hear with, with something inside of us that just knows and receives that that's God. That, that's not my voice, that's not the voice of, of other people around me. This is, this is God telling me something. He, he comes to us. And, and understand this, when God calls us, we often, we often, when we talk about the calling of God, we often think in terms of he calls me to do something. He calls me to do something, or he calls me to go someplace, or, or there's some action attached to it. And that's not, that's not wrong, but it's very important that we understand before it's that, okay? Be, before it's, it's um, a, a, a task, before it's an assignment, before it's a, a placement of some sort, before it's that, the call of God is, is foundationally a call to himself. He's calling you to him. He's calling you to know him. He's calling you to believe in him. He's calling you to belong to him. He's calling you to be accepted by him and know that you're accepted by him. So it's a call first, primarily, and will never change, foundationally. It's always a call to himself. It's a call not to do, but to become. To become his and for him to become yours. That's the foundation of the call. Now then, does it build off of that? Does, can it become other things about a, a assignment and placement and, and, and skills and giftings? Yeah, of course, it, all, it will. But if we skip the foundation, then now our access and our relationship to God is all about our performance. And that's a hard way to walk with Jesus. I'm not saying it's not a walk with Jesus, I'm just saying you're not gonna have a lot of fun. Okay, the call of God. God has a call on your life today. And that call isn't just to salvation. That call doesn't end because you said, Jesus, forgive me, I, I believe in you. That call continually comes. There's a call that unfolds and will continue to unfold in your life until you're looking right into the face of Jesus. All right, there's a call on you. It's an unbelievable thing. Precept number two. You have to bring your whole life with you. All right, he calls, and that you have to bring your whole life with you. It says that when Abraham got to Bethel, he, he arrived there with everything that he had. Genesis 12.5, and Abram took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his, brother, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. He went with everything he was and everything he had. When the Lord calls us, he calls us, you remember in Romans, to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And why our bodies? Because everything you are is in your body. Your, your body represents everything you are and everything you have. And that's what God asks of us in his call. He's asking all that we are, all that we have. He's asking for everything. And when we respond to him, and, and so if we're going to journey with him, gotta recognize it's not, it's not just a, a part of you, it's all of you. We, we, have, a, we have a very weird way of thinking um, in, the, 
in, well, in the culture, and it has bled into the church world as well, as well in that we think that our life has different parts. Well, we know our life has different parts, different compartments. We, we tend to want to compartmentalize or categorize our, our lives into these nice, neat columns. You know, I, I, and, and this is part of my life, and you know, it's, I, I call it church. And this is part of my life, and, and that's my social and my leisure time. And here's part of my life, and that's, you know, that's, that's my work and, and occupational stuff. And then, then over here, there's my education and school, and over here is my, my leisure time. Whatever your c- columns or categories may be, and we, and we line them all up, and, and, they, and they're separate, they're, they're divided, and each has its own standards. And each each has its own rules, and each has its own obligations and understandings, and, and we neatly divide them. That's why we can go to church on Sunday and, and raise our hands and worship the Lord with heart, you know, sincere hearts, but then we can go on Monday and Tuesday and just do unbelievable things and act a whole different way at work or at school, and we see no contradiction because our lives, that's not the life I'm in right now, I'm in this life over here. And so we see no contradiction. And, and that's, listen, that's, that's just going wild in the culture. I, I've heard numerous of our, our leaders say it specifically or basically it was the foundation of their thinking where they, they personally believe one way, but politically they have to go, they go another way. And they don't see a contradiction. My way of thinking, I want a leader who has character and what he believes is what he does or she believes, is what she does. And they stay consistent. Because here's the truth. We don't have a life that's divided in many compartments. You have one life. Your life isn't, isn't secular or sacred. You have one life. Your life is either in Christ or it's not. And that's it. Those are the choices. A person's life is in Christ or it's not. And as Christians, we're saying we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we are all in Christ. Get it? We're all in. There's not, if you're withholding something, you're just disobeying. You're just being selfish. We are, we are all in to this thing because his call, he called all of us. He, did, he didn't just call our Sunday morning us. He called our Friday night us. We, we are all into this thing. And if you want to know what will slow you down, if not completely stop you from reaching a next level in your journey with God, a divided heart will always do it. A divided heart will always do it. Trying to live some kind of a schizophrenic faith walk will, will, never, will never get you there. Okay? Precept number three. Next levels are never without enemies. Back in Genesis again, um, Abram gets to Canaan, which is his next level. He arrived at his next level. And verse 6 says, and there were Canaanites in the land. I'm surprised. There were Canaanites in the land. Here's a a shock. I I know it's going to surprise every one of you. This life will never be problem free. There will never not be enemies. Bad English, good theology. I I have a a one-year-old granddaughter. Her name's Mira. And I look at her and I would say, she has a problem-free life. I mean, the world right now is built on her and around her. And everybody does everything for her. She, she, I mean, it's just, it's like, oh, do you want to trade places? It's just, 
And I would say, she doesn't have a problem in the world, but I don't think she'd agree with it. And I can tell you why. Because if you wave a Cheerio in front of her and don't offer it to her, she has a problem. Which means now you have a problem. See, because it's, it's just, it's built into life. The, the, if we use our, a metric, if the metric we use to evaluate how we're progressing or what our next level, how we get to our next level or how we know when we're at our, our next level, if the, if the metric is um, comfort, convenience, material gain or, or accumulation of things, I, I think we're going to be disappointed. Now, is there blessing? Yes. Favor? Yes. Provision? Yes. Satisfaction? Yes. Contentment? Yes. Right along the journey and in increasing fashion. But right alongside them on the same journey, there's sometimes resistance and limitation. There's sometimes temptation. There's sometimes, could I say, even suffering. And it's on the same journey. And it's towards or at the same, at the next level. Abram gets to his next level and there's Canaanites in the land. So here's the question for you. Who's your Canaanite? Today, pick your, name your Canaanite. Because we all have them. We all have them. And, and if we don't have them, then our, hab, our, our Canaanite is, is either self-deception or we just lie. Everyone experiences enemies. And if because that's true, and we know it's true, first of all, because Jesus said it. In this life, you will have trouble. You will have tribulations. You will have problems in this life. But he didn't put a period. He said, but stick with me. Walk with me. Journey with me because I'm the only one who's overcome this life. So you may have problems, but when they come, they come with an attachment. It's called the victory of the blood of Jesus. And since it's true that we'll never be without some kind of enemy or, or resistance, I suggest it's better than to live this life with Jesus than without him. Because I have enough trouble sometimes dealing with enemies with Jesus. I don't, I'd be a hot mess if I had to do it without him. Right? Principle four. This one sounds a little weird, so give me a moment to unpack it. Wherever you pitch your tent, build an altar. Wherever you pitch your tent, build an altar. It says in our text in Genesis that Abraham built two altars. First, he, he, as he's going towards Bethel, he arrives at Shechem. And it's in the, in the text, it's right after it makes a statement that there were Canaanites in the land, God renews and revives and reminds Abram of his, of his covenant, of his promise to him about why he's even on this journey to begin with. And, he, and I think God did it just to encourage him, just to strengthen him, because it, it's not just there were Canaanites in the land. I mean, he was going to Canaan. I knew, he knew there were Canaanites in them, but, but maybe Abram was being overcome by the size or the numbers or, or, or the, 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 you know, how many were around or how powerful they, they seemed to be. But I think God took that opportunity to renew his, his covenant with him just to encourage 
Abraham, just to uplift him, just to give him some, some level of, of peace and, and confidence. I, I, I think that he was trying to just encourage him in, in, his, in his journey. Um, and it says that as a result, Abraham built an altar because of that in response to hearing and rehearing God's promise. Now in ancient times, when you built an altar, it, it also was a, it was a form of taking possession of something. Okay, when you built an altar, you're saying, this is mine. This is mine. So, so Abram was really putting a stake in the ground. Abram was, was really, by building this altar, he, he was by faith saying, God said he's given me this land, this is my land. He was, he was making a testimony. And this was known in that culture. So when some of these Canaanites would come across and see, who knows how they're going to respond? But Abram didn't care because his confidence was in God. He believed in God. He believed that God was going to give him this land. So he, he built an altar. It, it was a statement of faith. He, he built an altar that said, I, I trust what my God says. In other words, his, his faith that up until now has, has been an inner driving thing, he went public. He built an altar. So everybody now knows what Abram believes. Everyone not, and he's, and he's, he's putting some skin in the game because not everyone's going to like or agree with what he says. But he, he puts a, a stake around. That's the first altar that he built at Shechem. Then he comes to Bethel, Bethel and says he pitched his tent, built an altar, and called on the name of the Lord. This was a different altar. This was an altar for gathering at and, and not for personal quiet time because at, at this altar, Abram would have called everybody. His, his everything that he brought with him, all his family, all his possessions, all the people who came with him that he accumulated, the whole entourage, he would have gathered at this altar because that's the purpose of this altar. This altar, he called on the name of the Lord. And so this was a, this was a church meeting. This was a church service. This was a, a worship time where he gathered and they assembled Everything and everybody that was traveling with him was represented at this altar. And he called on the name of the Lord. He re recounted God's word to him. He declared the faithfulness of God. He, he renewed his, his devotion, his adoration, and his obedience to the Lord at, at, at this altar. Listen, never minimize the assembling of the body of Christ. It's not ancillary. I, I know... It's come under attack, and there's, there's, and there's, a, I can't go there. Never mind. Never mind. Just, it's important. All right, so here's an interesting point. Abram pitched his tent, but he built an altar. I, I see in that a picture of priority. I, I really do. That, that the, the place that he set up to serve himself, the tent, was temporary. But the place that he set up to serve the Lord was permanent. See, the tent, a couple stakes, stretch a couple ropes up, knowing that it's coming down. All right? This makes do, it satisfies my needs. The altar, he had to find rocks and stones, and he had to carry them and move them and lift them and fit them together and build this thing. And it wasn't going anywhere, it was there to be a testimony to everyone who had dared pass by. I think there's a good picture there for us. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we get them reversed. 
We make what should be temporary permanent, we make what's permanent temporary. And that never works well. That, that's never good for us and it, it won't help us. So as Christians, we need to look at our lives as, as we look at this, this journey and, and we need to be, make sure we're building both altars. We make sure, make sure that we're constructing in, in, in both altars in our life, uh, an, an altar that just is our faith and our claim that we know who God is and he, who he is in our life and, and the ground he's given us and, and, without, and, and go public with it. Not just your little quiet prayer closet somewhere that nobody knows about, but out loud. Live our faith out loud. Whatever that means to whoever hears it, okay? And then the altar at Bethel. We need a place of uh, a life of worship. And not just, again, private, but public. We need this gathering. We need this setting. Um, as people of God, he called on the name of the Lord. We, we need to call, just like we did this morning, call on the name of the Lord in concert with one another. You can worship anywhere, yeah, and you can worship by yourself, and I hope you do, but there's something about worshiping together that's different. It adds a dimension to my life that I can't do by myself. Amen. All right, Bethel. Let's keep walking with these two guys. And we're on our way now, and we're, we're, we've arrived at Jericho. For that, we want to go to Joshua 5. Verses 13 to 15, it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, I love this picture. They're in the promised land, right? And now Jericho's in front of them. But when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to meet him and said, are you for us or are you for our adversary? And he said, no, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I've come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is such a great, a great picture. Joshua was by Jericho. Joshua, we have to see this guy. You know, we, we look at Jericho backwards, so we have a vantage, but try to put yourself before the walls fell down. Try to put yourself where Joshua was. And he found the need to be off by himself. He left Gilgal and all the people there and all the stuff there. And he just had to get by himself. And he went by. So obviously these massive walls were in sight. They were in vision. And he's, he's by himself. Now he had just had a huge victory. He, he had got these people across the Jordan River into the promised land. He finished and accomplished what Moses couldn't do and wasn't able to do for a couple of reasons. But he knew something that's probably a good lesson for all of us. He knew that yesterday's Jordan doesn't solve today's Jericho. See, he's probably thinking, boy, I wish there was just another river to cross. Because he, he had faith for that. See, he had, faith, he had faith for Jordan, the Jordan River, because he had already crossed the sea on dry ground. You know, the Jordan wasn't new to him, but this is a walled city. He'd never faced that before. Jer Jericho was brand new, and whatever happened and he had to do and the things he had to do to get across Jordan aren't gonna work here. They're just, you know, having everybody put on their little floaties isn't gonna help. I, I think he had to be feeling the weight of leadership. 
in that moment. He, it, it had to be just, just pressing down on him. He had to be wondering, because as much as he's a man of God, he's just a human guy, just a human being with a huge task. He had to be thinking, are the people going to follow me? Are they ready to, to take this thing on? Are they going to run back across the river? Yeah. How, how do we attack? I did, I've never done this before. What, 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 I don't have a plan. I, I don't know. Did you ever feel weight of your, of your circumstance? Do you ever feel the, the heaviness of, of a situation? Or, or, or uh, where, where, I remember, you know, the, the, the joy of getting that letter from the college, the university I wanted to go to, of acceptance. I remember the joy. Yes, I did it. They accepted me. Oh, yay me. But I also remember the moment my parents drove me to this little podunk town in the middle of Indiana, and I'm standing at the curb with a couple suitcases, and they drove away. <laughs> And the weight of the reality of what have I done? I didn't know anybody. We've had those moments, right? How many have children? Oh, the joy of childbirth, the beauty, the majesty, the miracle of childbirth. And then they say, take it home. <laughs> now what? Now what? Yeah. Because you have those moments in life where, where, yeah, 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 and then the weight of what's really happening hits you. And it's like, what am I thinking? <laughs> Joshua was having that kind of a moment. Joshua knew above everything else he needed, he needed God. He needed to hear from God. He needed a sign from God. He needed God to do something because he had no answers. And you, you've all been there. You've all been off by Jericho. Just, just pondering. Just, just wondering. You, you have the, that moment, and, and I suspect because we've all, we've we've been in in Joshua's position in, in his sandals before. This this wasn't a a nice, calm, mild, sweet you know kind of prayer. Oh, most Lord, we I love you and I care, and and you're just so kind. No, this wasn't that prayer. This was the. Kind of prayer. This was God. If you don't do something, this ship's going down. This is God. I don't have a clue. You've brought me to this place, and so you got to do something about it because I don't understand. I don't have a thing to tell the people. We have this city in front. Of it was that kind of a prayer. It was a prayer of um, probably a little panic, a little desperation, even maybe a little doubt. Of, of can, is this really going to happen? And and we've been there, which also just leads us to precept five. There's no substitute for a personal prayer life. Um, wow, right? Profound. No, no. This is like Christianity 101, except it's not. A, a, a active, vibrant, growing prayer life is not. The knowledge of it is Christianity 101. The doing of it, the living it out, is advanced Christianity. It really is. It, it's an advanced walk in Jesus. Because you've heard so many sermons, and how many in the, times in the sermon does it get back to the fact about your prayer life? That so many things, you know, your prayer life is like the fulcrum that so many things in your life balance on. And, and it's just a fact of life. We have to... Learn it and learn it and over and over and keep applying ourselves and evaluating ourselves in it. 
We know it, it's primary, it's basic, but it's not basic. And every, every believer, let me put you at ease, every believer struggles with prayer. Every believer struggles in developing this life of prayer, probably because it's hard. Prayer is hard. Because it's not just bow your heads at, you know, at a meal and thank God for food. To, to develop a prayer, it's hard. It's seeking God. It's waiting. It, it's listening. It, it, it feels awkward. It's undisciplined. You know, sometimes you get all charged up. God, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to just seek your face. You know, and you're three minutes into it and you're out of material. <laughs> yep. Is that just me? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's sacrificial. It's inconvenient. It's, it's just, it, and, it, and it's constant. Pray without ceasing. There's, all, there's this part of prayer that's just always connected. It's hard. And, it, and it's, it's hard because it's huge. There's so many, the Bible gives so many forms of prayer, so many ways to pray. There's petitions and supplications and thanksgivings and contrition and repentance and intercession, adoration, confession, and the list goes on and on and on and on. This thing called prayer unto the Lord. And it's also hard and it's huge and it's hidden. See, this, this kind of prayer that, Josh, that we're seeing in Joshua, it, it's, it's done off to the side. This isn't out, out in the open. A lot of times when it comes to our spiritual, you know, the, our spiritual acts, um, we, if we're to be honest, we really want credit for them. Like if I'm going to do something really spiritual, I want people to know about it. Good guy, way to go. This, this, that doesn't apply to this kind of prayer. This is, this is the three o'clock in the morning desperation in the middle of the night dark, in fear almost, you know, with all kinds of concerns and questions and doubts. This is the Gethsemane kind of praying. When, when these kind of moments are upon you, it's, it's just you and God. And it's hard because it's hidden. You wish someone would just call you and give you the answer. You wish those three prayer partners would suddenly really hear God. I'm about, I mean, come on, earn your keep. <laughs> Next levels, however, will never be reached, or we, I should say will be only, only be reached on the steps of prayer. You'll reach your next level and the foundation of that will be steps of prayer. Nothing happens apart from prayer. Precept number six. Okay. Here's another good one. You're not infallible, so test everything. You're not infallible, so test everything. Joshua looks up. He's in this situation. He's, he's waiting on God. He looks up and says he sees this man, a soldier with a sword drawn, a drawn sword. Um, and, and he does two things that are maybe helpful, I hope helpful for us today. It says he, he lifted up his eyes and looked. Sounds, sounds obvious, or, but I think it's meaningful. There's a thing called tunnel vision. Did you ever have tunnel vision? Tunnel vision is what I get when I'm looking for something. Tunnel vision is, is what I was, I was with my little mother, three-year-old granddaughter, and she was looking for this one little toy and it was at her feet. <laughs> and I'm giving her instructions. Anna, look down. Anna, it's right in front of you. I mean, for three minutes, it's like, Anna. 
It's called tunnel vision. Right? It's why, it's why my wife has to go find things for me. Because I go in a room and I look in every drawer and I look in every shelf and everything that's not there. And then I get mad, like, where'd you put it? And she walks up to it and finds it. Where I just looked. Sometimes we can get so engrossed or even distracted by our circumstance that we can't see possible solutions. It's not in us. We're not able to see a way out. If you kept reading in 2 Kings into the sixth chapter, you'll find Elisha is now in a place and he has a servant with him and the Syrian army surround him. And they're out to kill Elisha actually. And his servant goes crazy because he comes out and he sees and he says, Elisha, all I see is horses and chariots. They're just everywhere. It's just horses and chariots. But Elisha saw something more because he makes that great statement, don't don't worry, there's more of us than them, which had to sound ridiculous to his servant, but then Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. And interesting, he still saw horses and chariots, but he saw them and they were on fire and they were surrounding the hillside. More with us than, than them. Sometimes we have to ask the Lord to help us to lift up our eyes and see what's not there but is. To, to, to see the provision of God. And, and tunnel vision won't, won't do it. Getting consumed and distracted by the things around us won't do it. They'll, they'll hinder, they'll block the, the, our vision. And we have to guard against that. Fortunately, Joshua didn't have that problem. And, and when he looked up and saw, it's interesting too that he, he asked a question. Do you know there's a difference between a reaction and a response? You can react to something which is totally different than responding to it. And I think many times we just react in life. You know, and we all have done that. We react in life instead of responding. We, we see a good model from, from Joshua. He, he gets, gets up and he sees a man with a drawn sword and he doesn't react in that he doesn't run away and he doesn't pull his own sword and attack. He asks the question and it's a great question. He, he doesn't just jump to conclusions by, oh, he's, he's, he's an enemy. Oh no, he's, he's on my side. He, he doesn't jump to conclusions. He just asks the question. He responds instead of reacts. Someone once said if, if Christians didn't jump to conclusions, they'd get no exercise at all. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but it's funny. So he, he just asked, he says, listen, and here's a good question for you to apply in your life. He says, are, are you for us or against us? Are you on my side or are you against, are you on the other side? He was asking this, he said, listen, are you gonna help me get to my next level or are you here to keep me from it? We have to ask that question of everything in life. Before we make decisions or, or before we react to things around us, we need to ask the Lord to help us to pause and sit back and say, wait a minute, this thing that just showed up, is it going to move me towards my next level or is it going to keep me from it? 
Is it going to hasten my pace? Is it going to slow me down? Is it going to keep me on a straight line? Is it going to be a tangent? Sometimes discerning the will of God in your life is that easy. Right? Proverbs, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. Include him. Bring him in at the front end. Don't do everything you could think to do and then pray. Bring him in at the front end. Where is this going to take me? And in asking the question, he, he, he knew what to do. He, he knew how to handle it. He knew how to respond properly. We live in such a reactive time. We, we don't live in a responsive time. We live in a time where everybody's reacting to everybody. Everybody's like on their last nerve and it takes one nanosecond of something to just set, some, to set people off. And no matter what it is or the thing may be, it's, it's just, and as Christians, we, we need to learn to take a breath and respond and respond. We don't do nothing. We do respond, but we respond. Joshua was wise enough not to react. He didn't, he didn't move based on presumption or assumption. Are you going to help me towards my level or not? This, can I tell you something? Now we're going to try and close this thing. Um, God is present in your life right now. God is in your life right now. He really is. Um, and, and he hears your call. He hears your prayers. He knows everything about your situation. Trust him. Trust him. And as life unfolds, I don't know when he's going to bring the final solution to whatever your situation may be, but he's going to bring it. But if you just react to everything immediately without pausing and letting him reveal if that's him or not, you're, you're just going to keep wait, you know, wasting time to some degree because sooner or later he's going to get you to the right place. But you're taking steps that maybe you could avoid. If we just calm down and, and give him a chance, if we just lift up our eyes and look and then wait. Precept number seven, and then I'm done. And it's a short one, so I'm going to ask you to stand because I always remember that I'm supposed to end when you're standing. Precept number seven, true worship requires taking off your shoes. Joshua asked the question, he gets a response, and he recognized in the response that this was not only a man from God, but this was God. This was a Christophany. Jesus was showing himself to Joshua because the man said, I'm, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. There's only one commander of the army of the Lord. And that's Jesus. And it hit Joshua. And it says, he fell on his face and worshiped. And the Lord says to him, take your shoes off. Because this is holy ground. For Joshua, it had to be reminiscent of Moses' story at the, bur at the burning bush. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. In, in ancient days, Taking your shoes off was emblematic of, of taking off worldly attachments, worldly involvements. It was emblematic, sim symbolic of, of um, taking off or ridding yourself of the pollutions of the world. Things that crowd and 
declutter your soul. So we see, we see Joshua now in this position. He's bowed down and he's barefoot. And in that place, he was able to hear what he needed to hear. In that place, the Lord was able to unfold to him the exact plan he needed to reach his next level. Pastor Jeremy did a series a while ago. I think it was called Bad Breaks. Was it Bad Breaks? You know, and it was based on, you know, how the scriptures laid out in verses and chapters that sometimes we end of, because we stop reading because it's a chapter end, but really it continues to, that, that's in, in Joshua 5, don't stop at the end of chapter 5 because the Lord is, is just beginning to speak and goes into the first five verses of chapter 6, he lays out the plan. Joshua, here's what you need to do. Uh, yeah, Jericho's big, walled city. Woo! Here's the plan. And everything Joshua needed was laid out before him. But it, it wasn't at a, at a marker board building strategy. He wasn't surrounded by all his generals or captains or whatever. He was on his face barefoot before the Lord. And God gives him and downloads to him everything that he needs. I promise you, if you'll journey with the Lord diligently, intentionally, consistently, if we'll be people who, who seek his face, if we'll assume a posture before him of worship and taking off worldly engagements and involvements and pollutions of the, that we, things that, that we pick up just walking the dust of this earth. From that position, God will, God will reveal to you things that you can't figure out on your own. He, he, will, he will get you to a next level. So that's, I guess, what I want to leave you with today. A, a picture of Joshua, great man of God who's about to do something phenomenal. If you've been in around the church for more than five minutes, you know about Jericho, and the battle of Jericho, and the walls fell down. Joshua didn't win that battle when the walls fell. Joshua won the battle the moment he was on the ground barefoot. He got up from that place and Jericho was nothing to him. Jericho was just something now we have to do so the walls gather so we can move on. His next level became more than reachable and attainable. I want you to see that position and we need to be there before the Lord. Our journey needs to include that posture. So I encourage you to do that. I'm gonna pray but I also want the prayer team, if you get in place, we believe in prayer, I told you last week, and I just encourage you, if, if there's something in this message that touched you, or maybe you just came in and said, man, I, I could use some prayer on that. That's what this time is for, and that's what these folks are here for. Just brothers and sisters who love us, they love the Lord, and, and they wanna agree with you in prayer. That's it. So take advantage. 
just take advantage. Every Sunday we're making this available to you. Don't, don't miss the opportunity. So Father, we thank you for your word that teaches, that leads, that guides, that edifies, that builds us up, that, that instructs. Your word that transforms. It washes over us and cleanses us. And, and I pray that you take the simplicity of my words, but you multiply them with your anointing and you make them life and real in the hearts of your people. And I pray that we take your word and not just let it rest here, but that we activate in our lives by taking it with us and letting it take root in our heart so that we can be trees that bear fruit for your glory. Father, thank you for your people. I pray your blessings upon them. And I pray for an increasing hunger and thirst for more and more of you and encouragement on their journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day and a good week. Hope to see you next Sunday.